baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. I'm Grant McCauley and we got a ton of Braves things to talk about this week. MLB trade deadline has come and gone and now the Braves embark on the month of August. A critical road trip and a big homestand coming up as they try to hold on to the National League East and trying to answer quite a few questions when you think about the roster as things have changed quite a bit for the Braves over the last two, three weeks. When you think about injuries, when you think about trades, Lots of moving pieces for Atlanta, and lots of that has happened in the last week, and we'll get to all of it on this episode of From the Diamond. To help me get through all of that, I have my buddy Zach Dillard from Fox Sports South. He'll jump on, and we'll talk about all the comings and goings for the Braves in terms of the roster moves, and of course, how can you not talk about what Ronald Acuna Jr. has been doing? Not only does he have a chance for a 30-30 season, he's got a chance maybe to make a run at 40-40, so Zach will share his insight on that and all the other goings-on with the Braves right now. Before we get into it all, I want to invite you to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. I'm on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Ratings and reviews always appreciated, and for those of you who have taken the time to do that, thank you very much. Be sure to follow along on social media. On Twitter, you can find the show at FromTheDiamond underscore, and I am at Grant McCauley on Twitter as well, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. On Instagram, the show is at FromTheDiamond, no underscore on the end, and I am at Grant McCauley there. You can also find every episode of the show and all the other special content at fromthediamond.com. So surf on over there, bookmark that if you will. Likes, shares, retweets, all that good stuff is very much appreciated. So thank you for all of you who followed along and shared this with a friend. It goes a long way. Now that you know how you can connect with the show, it's time to take a look back on the week that was for the Atlanta Braves. Since last we spoke, the Braves split a four-game series with the Cincinnati Reds. There were some ups and downs, a little bit of inclement weather as well. The Braves, though, able to take two out of the four games and some disappointment in that final game as they lost despite a dramatic home run from Ronald Acuna Jr., who's hit quite a few home runs in his young career and quite a few of those lately as well. The Reds were able to go into extra innings and rough up new Braves closer Shane Green, who has not had, I think, the start that he would have liked with the Atlanta Braves. Since coming over from the Detroit Tigers, Green has not had a clean outing with the Braves thus far, which is somewhat surprising considering how good his resume was. But Green has been roughed up in his first couple of outings in Atlanta, including one even in Minnesota, where he surrendered a home run and has yet to work a blank frame. He's allowed five runs of the earned variety, which was as many as he had allowed in his 38 appearances with the Tigers. He's given up a lot of base hits. Some of them were of the bad luck variety in his debut, but nonetheless, runs are being pushed across against Green, and that's not what he's come in to do. And he's a guy that's going to be hard on himself as well. He's tossed three innings in a Braves uniform, five runs all earned, eight hits, a couple of home runs, a walk, and three strikeouts for Green, who will look to get himself back on track. And when asked about his first couple of outings at the close of the homestand and that series against the Reds and the loss on Sunday, 
Green had no excuses and did not mince words. Yeah, it's unfortunate that I showed up with, uh, you know, everybody excited for me to be here to get the job done, and I haven't got that job done two days in a row. So, um, you know, I just got to pitch better. This is a hard game, you know. Just got to keep making my pitches. You really have to have that closer mentality, and Green does have it as far as what happened yesterday should not affect what happens today, and that's something that could pay dividends for him moving forward, and he has been able to close out some games for the Tigers this year and is hoping to do the same for the Braves down the stretch because that's exactly what Atlanta went and got him for in strengthening that bullpen. After the Cincinnati series, the Braves went up to Minnesota and suffered a walk-off loss before turning around and outslugging the Minnesota Twins to take the final two games of that series. Before anything got started, the Braves shook up the starting rotation. Kevin Gosman was claimed off waivers by the Cincinnati Reds, who will now take on the remainder of his salary. They also have contractual control through arbitration for 2020 as the Braves cut ties with Kevin Gosman. He was a big part of the Braves' 2018 playoff run, but couldn't find consistency this year. Despite coming off the IL and throwing a gym against the Washington Nationals, last couple of starts for Gosman, really tough to watch as he was hit around and could not keep the ball in the ballpark. Alex Antopoulos discussed the decision to move on from Kevin Gosman and to bring Mike Fultonevich back from AAA to rejoin the Atlanta rotation. Sydney obviously didn't have a strong outing, and it's been a few now. You know, we had a you know, standing start against the Nationals coming off the IL. And with the way Fulty was throwing the ball and talking to the Gwinnett staff, they felt like he was ready, ready to come back and help impact us. And look, this was performance-based. Every game counts. We're into the last two months of the year. And at the end of the day, you know, we were going to give Fulty an opportunity, and this made sense for us. So if, if Gauz got claimed, he got to move on to another club. And from our standpoint, that allows Fulty to come back and make the start for us. We'll get to the return of Mike Fultonevich in just a moment because that was one of the big stories of the last week for the Braves. But for Kevin Gosman, it's still a somewhat surprising move for Atlanta to cut ties with a veteran pitcher who had shown at times that he could be effective. Atlanta opted not to give him a look in the bullpen, and Alex Antopoulos explained why. We talked about it. The issue was right now with the way our bullpen is set up, Newcomb's the only one with options, and he's been throwing the ball too well to do that. So from that standpoint, you know, we just didn't feel like that made sense for us, and especially just the way that we're constructed as a team right now and even going into the offseason, this was the move that you know gave us the greatest flexibility with the roster going forward and you know more specifically gives Fulton an opportunity to come back and hopefully uh be a boost for us Mike fulton was a boost for the Braves as he took the ball in game two up in Minnesota pitching five and a third innings of three-run ball couple of walks seven strikeouts for him five hits two of those home runs but it's important to note that fulton sat around after tossing five scoreless innings for about half an hour as the Braves put six on the board in the top half of the sixth that's kind of, uh, as they joked about, a lot of the guys on the team, a blessing and a curse. You want all the runs you can get, but you have to sit around and wait if you're a starting pitcher, and half an hour is quite a layoff for him. But overall, much more good than bad here, and a huge first step for Mike fulton as he tries to get himself back into the Atlanta rotation to stay down the stretch and make an impact as well. After the outing, Fulte gave his thoughts on what was working for him in his return to the major leagues. You know, I felt like... You know, right after spring training, just glad to get, you know, that one out of the way. You know, all my pitches were working, you know, there for the solid five innings. It seemed like we just kept them off balance, you know, the whole game. Went up, down, in and out with the fastball, you know, through the slider. Slider was there tonight. And then, we you know, we threw just enough change-ups to, you know, keep it in the back of their head. So it was a overall, you know, pretty good night. And, um, you know, just, you know, wish I had that sixth inning back a little bit, a couple more pitches here and there. But I'm um, not going to let that get that outing down because it was pretty good before that. 
Mike fulton spent about a month and a half down at AAA Gwinnett just trying to figure out what was not working for him at the big league level and get everything back on track. Priority number one was reclaiming the slider that was very ineffective in his time in the big league rotation. As far as what was going on down in AAA Gwinnett, Mike Fultonevich laid out what his plan was and what he was hoping to accomplish in the half dozen starts he had there. You know, the first few, you know, I was just, you know, trying to get it back, trying to get it back. And then the last three, um, you know, this one, including four, have been, you know, the best I've been throwing it all year. The start before this one was pretty good down there. So it's just, you know, continue it up here, whatever I was doing down there, just, you know, make sure I was doing it up here. And, you know, I was just throwing it really well and I just making sure it was down. Um, finishing it off and just you know nice and smooth with my mechanics as well you know just helps all that out at the end so um it's like overall just sliders where it needs to be fastball command everything is you know where i was need to be just wish i had a few pitches back there at the end how exactly do you reclaim a pitch that hasn't been working for you for a prolonged period of time like mike fultonevich's slider well it starts with rebuilding the belief in that pitch so that every time you throw it you can throw it with conviction exactly conviction is you know the word for it um just every time you're going to throw it, just throw the crap out of it. When I've done that, it moves the way I need it to be. And, um, you know, when I just take a little bit off or something like that, that's when, you know, you get those ones that pop over for a strike and, you know, get hope for a home run. But, um, yeah, just mentally, just with conviction, just throwing that pitch for a strike where I need it to be. And, um, you know, it goes there most of the time, then it doesn't. So it's a good thing I'm playing around with it. Like I said, it all just goes back to my mechanics, too, as well. I'm nice and slow with that, and, and things start going downhill a lot better. Prior to cutting ties with Kevin Gosman, it sounded like the veteran righty was going to get another start in the Atlanta rotation, but that changed based on both the performance of Gosman at the big league level and what Mike Fultonevich was able to accomplish down in AAA Gwinnett. But there didn't really seem to be a timetable when the calendar turned to the month of August as to when Fulton would be back in the big league rotation. With that aside, out of his control, he just concentrated on working each and every start out and finally turned a corner. 15, 20 days ago was really, I don't know what clicked, but... You know, maybe it was a grip. Maybe I was, you know, holding it a little loose. Maybe I'll start holding it a little tighter and just letting it rip. You know, pitching it with conviction. A few times, like you know, trying to get me over slider or something. And that's when it really, you know, pops up and doesn't do what it wants to do. So just, you know, every pitch, you know, especially the slider, it's you know going to be ripped pretty hard. And um, you know, if something happens, it happens. But um, you know, right now it's just arms feeling good. Everything's feeling good. So um, you know, we'll just go from there. But um, sliders, you know, where it needs to be. And you know, the whole reason why I was out of here was to get that pitch back. And you know, knock on wood, it's it's where it needs to be. With that pitch back and an encouraging start under his belt, Mike Fultonevich will now turn his attention to replicating that every fifth day, and he's hoping to be a part of the rotation that helps the Braves get back to October. I know this is only one outing, but um, you know, just had a little glimpse. I'm just you know ready to help this team team win and, and get and our ultimate goal is, is to win a World Series. But to get back to where you know I was last year, and you know all those you know everyone wanted me to you know be where I was at this year, and, I, and I'm finally getting there. It's just you know taking a little longer than um, you know anybody wanted, but um, yeah, just you know hope you know that little glimpse there was you know I'm ready to, to help this team win, um, no matter what it is. So uh, and I'm just very excited to you know get that one out of the way and, and look forward to the next one. While Tuesday was a great day for Mike Fultonevich as he rejoined the Atlanta rotation, it was an unfortunate day for another member of the Braves roster, and that would be Austin Riley. The rookie has been mired in a slump for well over a month now, and things took an unforeseen turn that nobody wanted to see, as Austin Riley was injured while working out on Tuesday prior to the game. After being checked out initially, Riley woke up on Wednesday with a very sore knee and was placed on the injured list and he discussed what exactly happened to lead to this stint on the IL. So I was in the weight room working out. You know, I work out every once every series and was just going through a, a movement for mobility for my hips and, you know, felt some discomfort in my knee at the, at the moment and, you know, stopped the workout, let George and them 
take a look at it. They did all the, the movements and stuff. It was fine. Went about BP was was normal, and then woke up the next morning and, and there was some swelling and some you know the discomfort was you know at a higher grade. So now we're here and you know just kind of waiting to to see what you know Doc has to say. Bad news for Riley is a partially torn LCL in his right knee, and he'll find out on Monday when he visits Dr. James Andrews whether or not surgery will be necessary and if his season may in fact be over. This just another in a line of injuries for the Braves following Nick Markakis' broken wrist and Dansby Swanson spending a couple of weeks on the injured list as well. These injuries are something the Braves will simply have to overcome after having about four months of not dealing with any major medical issues. Adam Duvall and Ender Inciarte will likely become the fixtures in the Atlanta outfield along with Ronald Acuna Jr. as the Braves try to maintain the run-scoring attack that's been a big part of their success throughout the 2019 season. So a lot going on with the Atlanta Braves on this road trip, particularly the first leg in Minnesota. And to size up all of that, I want to welcome Zach Dillard of Fox Sports South into the show. You can follow Zach's work on Twitter at Zach underscore Dillard. You can also find everything that Zach and Corey McCartney and the whole team over at Fox Sports South does in their Braves coverage by following them on Twitter at Fox Sports Braves. I highly recommend that you do that. Zach, it's been an eventful week. we got all kinds of stuff happening for the Atlanta Braves. Some good, some not so good. But I appreciate you making some time to talk about all of it with me. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's been a while, so uh, let's dive into it. Let's do it. So back in the saddle here, and the Braves, of course, got back on the road not too long ago and went up to Minnesota where they matched up with a team that, as far as hitting home runs is concerned, the Twins do it better than anybody in baseball, which is not something I think we would have expected way back in spring training. But after the Braves were stung by a walk-off loss in the opener, they turned around and outslugged the Twins to take a big road series and, Zach, I know we've seen this now for four-plus months, but this Atlanta offense has a chance to really power this club into October. They absolutely do. It's their biggest strength. You know, I think you look last year in the postseason, walking out of it, Alex Anthopoulos in this front office knew they had to do something about this offense. Uh, I think uh, erroneously, I think a lot of people focus in on the pitching, but offense was the problem last year. And especially in the postseason, they were exposed by a very deep Dodgers lineup, a very versatile Dodgers lineup. And now just one year later, I think all the questions, you know, have turned to pitching. They've had some pitchers really break out. But this offense, especially the top four, is one of the best uh, and really can compete with anybody in baseball with Acuna, Albies, uh, Freeman, and Donaldson. And if Danzy Swanson can get back into a uh, swing of things when he gets healthy, um, it really can lengthen this lineup. They have some injuries right now. But I just the way that they're hitting right now, there's one through four is a playoff caliber one through four, and it's a type of lineup that can carry you in the postseason if you get decent to good pitching. And we'll talk a little bit about the lineup real quick before moving on through some of the other things because it was a busy week and there were some big stories on the pitching front, of course, lately for the Braves. But offensively speaking, when you look back at the signing of Josh Donaldson and Brian McCann, for that matter, you knew those were going to be impactful moves if those guys were able to come in and play up to their capabilities. Now, as you just pointed out, the Braves have had some injuries lately, losing Nick Markakis for what is very likely the remainder of the season. And then all of a sudden, Austin Riley has a knee injury. So that's another issue the Braves have to deal with, all while having their starting shortstop out as well. The Braves have had to show some resiliency here. And I think that, you know, offensively speaking, when you do have that depth and that lengthened lineup, as you called it, I think it's the opportunity there for other guys to step up, and that's exactly what they've done. And it really has started at the top of that order with Ronald Acuna Jr. setting the table and the three guys behind him just continuing to eat on a nightly basis. Well, and if I could hit rewind, um, I was with you know a lot of prognosticators in the preseason that thought that this NL East 
division would be extremely competitive, and it might be a little bit more down the stretch, but I really looked at the top four teams in this division, uh, Atlanta, Washington, New York, and Philadelphia, and said, you know, if everything breaks right for you know all, any of these four teams, uh, it makes sense to look at them in a playoff sort of scenario. But one thing I, I think was evident, even when you track back to uh, the preseason, is that this Atlanta organization, even though it didn't spend you know the resources that maybe Washington or Philadelphia did, it was, in terms of organizational depth, it was built for 162 mm-hmm. and built for you know sustaining and withstanding uh, injuries better than any other team in this division. Any other team in this division, when things go wrong with some of their top players, there's not really anybody to really step up and you know fill that void. And I think we've seen time after time surprises in this Atlanta you know lineup as well as the pitching guys stepping up and really being able to carry this team when when they need it most. You know, Ender and Cerrote goes down, Austin Riley goes on a tear. Now you have you know Nick Markick is going down, and then surprisingly. Uh, Ender and Adam Duvall hitting a nice little hot streak and helping to carry the team for a week. I would even say the same for pitchers that aren't even around. You know, Kevin Gosman made one of the biggest starts of the season, a seven-inning gym against the Washington Nationals. He's out, and now you have Mike Foldnevich stepping up. So you have so many different ways of looking, you know, at this organizational depth. And I know he's kind of a punching bag, internet especially, but, you know, if you went into the season saying you were getting nothing out of A.J. Minter and Arosa's Gaino, um, Luke Jackson stepped up for a long time for this bullpen. So Absolutely. in terms of in terms of organizational depth, this team is built for going 162, built for that long-distance haul and that grind that you have to have in the regular season. I think it's a different conversation when you get to the postseason, depending on health and the teams that you're matched up against. But um, the, the, the way that Alex Anthopoulos and GMs and front offices before him have really built up this organizational depth, I think is one of the biggest reasons why you're looking at a five-and-a-half game lead over Washington right now. Absolutely agree. And as you mentioned, all these other teams in the National League East went out and they did spend money or make big trades or both in the case of the Phillies and the Mets and the Nationals. But the Braves, they made their Josh Donaldson signing and really kept things in-house. And one of the reasons I think they were able to do that is that I think that there was a long-term vision and plan, and we saw that when money was spent locking up two of your franchise fixtures that you hope will be around for a long time and wanted to have around a long time. And now you have that opportunity as you sign a long-term extension with Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzie Albies pretty much simultaneously three, four months ago. And now we're watching these guys simultaneously at the top of the order, really powering this Braves lineup. And Zach, we've been talking about Ronald Acuna Jr. for three years. And I guess my question is, are we ever going to run out of good things to say about this guy? Because He's closed in on a 30-30 season, has a chance at 40-40 if things go right in this last 45 games. This guy's 21 years old and just continues to be amazing and to outdo himself. We, I think, overlook it when you when you watch him on a day-to-day basis. And I think it's really instructive. You look around baseball at some of the top rookies this year, and, you know, Vlad Jr. is, you know, extremely talented. Obviously, he's had some extreme highs this year, but nowhere near the production that we saw from Acuna and even Juan Soto last year at 20 years old and then 19 years old for Soto. Like, I think that like we take for granted these young players that come up and just become immediate stars as if this is how things have always been. And it's not, it's very rare that you see stars on this level. And he's clearly going to get, in my opinion, you know, barring, you know, health, um, a 30, 30 season, that would just be the fifth in Braves history. He's going to be the, probably the second youngest member 
of the 30-30 club, only behind Mike Trout. So mm-hmm. that when you look at the categories that he, you know, in, in the in the company that he keeps uh, on almost a daily basis now, um, it, it's just really insane to think about. And I, you know, as as high of expectations as I had for him going into this season, you know, I thought he would be, you know, in the MVP conversation. I thought he would lead this team in war. Um, I didn't even, you know, really factor in a forty forty season. Uh, right. He just didn't steal bases uh, like that last year. He didn't steal bases like that even for the first half of the season. But now we're 45 games to go, and he needs 10 home runs and 14 stolen bases. Over his previous 45 games, he's hit 14 home runs and stolen 17 bases. He is well within range, uh, and his talent is well within range from one of the greatest seasons uh, we've really ever seen from a young player in baseball history. And for some reason, maybe it's because we're just numb to it by now, uh, we do overlook that uh, for a 21-year-old. Yeah, it's easy to overlook, I think, because people just come to expect it. And those expectations, I think, in a lot of ways, you kind of have to guard those at times. And you know, we expect a lot of instant impact, I think, because that's a story that people always gravitate toward is that player that comes up and has the hot streak and puts the team on his back. And Acuna's already done that a year ago. And now his encore season is a little bit more impressive, which is pretty crazy to think about. As you look at what Ronald Acuna's done at the top of the order, the leadoff home run, something we know all about, but... All of a sudden, this guy is leading the National League in runs scored. Meanwhile, a couple of hitters later in the order, Freddie Freeman has been or is right at the National League lead in runs knocked in. I know it's going to be tough when we start talking about MVP with Christian Yelich and Cody Bellinger doing what they've done this year, but the Braves have two guys that should finish, I think, in the top five in the MVP voting, but they might kind of cancel each other out if you're looking at either one of them being able to sneak their way into one of the top two spots. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think you're about right. I mean, Yelich and Bellinger have really run away with this thing. So barring an insane final, you know, two months from really Acuna, I, I don't think that um, Freddie is going to be in that mix quite as much. Uh, just because one thing that gets overlooked with Acuna a lot of times too is that, you know, good or bad uh, in terms of, you know, the downgrade that it gave this defense, like he has stepped up and played a premium position of center field, and that has added so much more to his plate as a 21-year-old. Um, but I, I just think that, you know, I don't I don't know if anybody could have seen Yelich arguably improving from his MVP season last year, mm-hmm. and Cody Bellinger is, you know, an elite player literally across the board when you look at his tools and his production this year. So I think that those two are probably the runaway favorites. Uh, the Braves are clearly going to, in my opinion, going to have one guy that's going to be probably in top five MVP voting. Um, I would say it's going to be Acuna at this point, uh, especially if, I mean, if he gets a 40-40 season, um, those are the types of counting numbers that I think voters can't really ignore. So it wouldn't surprise me if he's like top three in MVP voting, but um, he's got a long chase ahead of him, uh, just given the head start that Yelich and Bellager and the way that they've been able to keep up, keep up that production for most of the season. Yeah, they've been tremendous pretty much start to finish. The funny thing about the 40-40 club as well is that there's only four guys in baseball history that have done it. And, of course, Jose Canseco was the first way back in 1988. Then you had Barry Bonds and Alex Rodriguez and Alfonso Soriano join him over the next 15 to 18 years following. But Canseco's the only one of those four men that even won an MVP season in his 40-40 year. So it's, it's kind of funny that you can look at just on the face value that's something that doesn't get done very often and it still hasn't been netting guys MVPs. And we might be looking at that again this year, because as you mentioned, it's hard to ignore what Cody Bellinger has done and what he's become this year. 
And Christian Yelich, I'm with you. I did not think that there was another level for him to reach, but he could end this season with, what, 50 homers and 30 steals? I think that's pretty darn good, too. Well, I mean, it, that's one thing we should probably talk about with, with Yelich, too, is in terms of a 40-40 guy, it's not you know out of reach for him. I think it's more out of reach for him than it is for Acuna. Uh, but he has 23 stolen bases. If you were to go on a, a bit of a tear, uh, it's not outlandish to think that Yelich could do that, given his talent. I don't think he will. I think Acuna is clearly the best shot that we've had since Soriano in 2006. Uh, and, it, you know, 40-40 is maybe looked at strangely because you have Conseco, Bonds, uh, A-Rod, and Soriano was never just like, you know, Hall of Fame, you know, out-of-this-world player. But it, it's it's funny to think about whether we would ever, you know, when's the next time we're going to be able to see this? You know, 2006 was, you know, we're, t- we're talking a pretty long span of time. And mm-hmm. I even wrote uh, a little bit earlier this season when last year when Jose Ramirez and Mookie Betts joined the 30-30 club, it had been five years. Uh, before we, since we had seen a 30-30 season, that was Mike Trout and Ryan Braun in 2012. Uh, that was the longest drought that baseball has had since Hank Aaron in 1963, and we had to wait till Bobby Bonds in 1969. Like we just don't see these 30-30, 40-40 seasons yeah. coming up nearly as often anymore because teams are being so much more conservative on the base path. So, you know, clearly we know that Acuna is an elite power speed. Uh, threat, and we we knew that when he was a prospect. We knew that as a rookie, but um, you know it, it's just so rare that we're that we could be seeing this yet again. Um, this this I don't know when we're going to see this yet again. Is probably the best way to put it. And Yelich and Acuna have probably the best shot that we've seen in quite some time. Yeah, and it's exciting to see two guys or more in some seasons really having a chance to do that thirty thirty thing, or to do perhaps a forty forty deal which for Yelich would take a little bit more running than he's done. But Ronald Acuna entered the All-Star break with 13 steals. Now he's sitting on 26. So I would guess never say never as far as that's concerned. But 45 games to go, as Zach mentioned, to get to 40-40. It's 10 home runs and 14 steals that Ronald Acuna Jr. needs. And by some very simple math, four steals to get to 30-30 and become the first Brave in 28 years to do that. He joined Ron Gant, who did it twice, Dale Murphy, and, of course, Hank Aaron, as Zach mentioned, in 1963 So some pretty elite company, which is what Ronald Acuna Jr. seems to like to keep. Now, the guy that he keeps company with the most is Ozzie Albies, and he's been locked in at the top of the order. He follows Acuna in the lineup, on the bases, and just about anywhere else those two can be found. And I think Ozzie has answered a lot of questions about his offensive capabilities following last year's bad second half. Zach, what have you seen as far as a different Ozzie Albies in 2019 than we saw down the stretch a year ago? I mean, he's being so much more productive against right-handers. Uh, that would be first and foremost the, the way that he's really honed in on that swing from the left side. Just so much uh, more patient, more mature at the plate. But uh, I think more than anything we're seeing in the second half is the Ozzy Albies that I think Atlanta really wanted to see last year in the second half. And right now he's flashing 313, 347, 536 in the second half right now. It's 24% above league average. And we know the way that he wore down last season. It's not like Atlanta has really given him that many days off this season. And I would be curious if that happens more down the stretch, but I, I think that was one of the, you know, the biggest things going into this off season is Ozzy, you know, outright talent. You know, we, you and I were both sitting there, Alex Anthopoulos saying that, you know, Ozzy told him that he wore down and he went into this off season, you know, preparing to build up and be able to withstand the 162 plus playoffs. And the way that he's playing now 
is exactly what Atlanta needed at the perfect time because I thought Deandre Swanson did a good job at the at the second spot in the order, and he goes down. They didn't really have another you know great option there if Ozzie didn't step up, and here he is, uh, pretty much acting like the star that you know we know that he is capable of being. And um, it's very fascinating when you look at the the earlier this season the extensions that Albies and Acuna signed and. So much of the conversation was, you know, wrapped up in the, you know, how much of a steal that these contracts are, and it's just undeniable now. Um, it, you know, the conversation around Ozzy was like the Braves don't exactly know what he's going to be um, in terms of, you know, hitting from the hitting from the left side. But it, it, it clearly we knew it was a steal at the time, yeah. and I think even now, uh, as you as you fast forward a few months, even down the road, you're starting to see why. Uh, you know the advanced analytics community. When you look at like zips and things like that, that project out the rest of these players' careers, uh, Albies was one of the top five players uh, in Major League Baseball right now in terms of his career value. And we're starting to see why. Um, in terms of a guy for the second straight season has a three WAR year. He's on his he's on pace to get to really more of a four or five WAR season this year. And if that's the guy that you're paying. Uh, basically nothing uh, for a long time. It really it just frees up so much extra um, resources to build out this roster when you are paying uh, two just complete young superstars nothing at the top of this order uh, compared to what their talent and what their value really is. Yeah, there's no two ways about that. The Braves signed two deals that they're going to be very happy with for a long time. And it's funny, three, four months ago, people did have some reservation about the long-term deal for Ozzie Albies. I mean, you and I would look at it and say, wow, if he just, like you said, puts up a three-war season each year or close to it, this contract is paid for itself two or three times over. Whereas there were people out there that said, well, that second half was pretty scary, so maybe it's a little riskier. That's a risk I think you got to take, and I'm sure the Braves are happy that they did because Ozzie Albies has been right front and center, right in the middle of everything this Braves offense has been doing. Uh, one other guy that we talked about briefly, but I just want to ask your opinion real quick because I was crunching some numbers on him yesterday. Josh Donaldson's played 50 games since the Joe Musgrove incident and has proceeded <laughs> to become the cleanup hitter that the Braves very much needed this year after the lineup shuffle. His last 50 games, he's on pace for 60 home runs. If you were to pull that out over the entire season, I think that's pretty good, and I think we can go ahead and stop thinking about whether or not Josh Donaldson needed to be signed by the Braves or the Braves needed Josh Donaldson and maybe start thinking about how much more Josh Donaldson might the Braves need over the next two, three, or four years. Where do you weigh in on that and the possibility of bringing him back for an extended run here? Well, first and foremost, if the Braves are able to get a World Series, uh, they should probably send Joe Musgrove a a ring uh, along with it, the way that they were able to wake him up. Um, you know, I've come around on this a little bit, and I, I and I think that clearly the Braves are going to offer at the very bare minimum uh, the qualifying offer to Josh Donaldson. I, I think that's clearly going to happen. But if if I was Josh Donaldson as agent, I'm looking to capitalize on this season. This was a prove it year for him. It was, you know, with the injuries and, and the way that he uh, ended his run in Toronto and Cleveland last year, he had to go out sign a one year deal, and yes, it was twenty three million dollars, but he had to go out and prove that he was still that kind of player. And he has. So he's clearly going to want to be able to capitalize on this. And I think the Braves have to at least consider, uh, you know, start crunching some numbers and looking at how they project Josh Donaldson long-term. Because 
you know, 33 years old right now. You're going into your age 34 season, and aging curves do come into effect, and they yeah. do come into play with these teams. But at the same time, we're seeing some, you know, we're seeing some sluggers that age pretty well. And Josh Donaldson, you know, age 33 right now, hitting 33% above league average. You have questions with, you know, Austin Riley, and not to, not to say that Austin Riley can't be an extremely good player, but you know, it's not like he's fully formed and he's run into his own issues as a rookie, as you would expect. Um, they have, you know, some, you know, they could, you know, walk away from, you know, some of the outfield pieces next year. Clearly, you have Ronald Cunha Jr., uh, you know, Christian Pache, Andrew Waters are waiting in the wings, but I personally don't believe in blocking players anymore. I think I've really come around on that, that players will show you and they will prove to you when they are ready. So I wouldn't worry about that quite as much unless I'm really handing out like a four- or five-year deal. Yeah. Um, but two or three years for Josh Donaldson, I think, is in range for this Braves team. They really have to um, they really have to decide how much they believe in Austin Riley, when they believe that Pache and Waters are going to be ready for this team, but, and who could step into that void uh, behind Freddie Freeman uh, in, the, in the cleanup spot. Um, th- these are all questions that they need to answer. Um, but me personally, I've definitely come around on the fact that um, I thought this was a one-year stint for Josh Donaldson. Uh, clearly, um, I think at the very least, they would throw a qualifying offer his way. But two, you know, two plus years of, of Donaldson waiting in the wings um, isn't isn't the worst idea for this very team, uh, especially as we go back to this Albany and Acuna, uh, these contracts. This is how the Braves should supplement this roster. They should be spending money. They should be spending money on Keuchel. They should be spending money on Josh Donaldson. They should be taking on money to not give up as many prospects for a guy like Mark Melanson. Like, they need to use their financial resources to supplement this young and extremely affordable core. And Donaldson one of those, is a type of player like that that you can, you know, start to wrap your head around. Like, this can help this team for multiple years. Yeah, it definitely can. I think he's already shown the value that he offers, and Alex Anthopoulos has shown he can get creative where he needs to, even if there are some financial constraints that you, me, and everybody listening to this knows that the Braves face that some other clubs like the Dodgers or even the Red Sox, Yankees, Cubs, teams like that might be able to outspend you with the Braves. They can find a way to strike a balance, and I think they've done that with a number of pickups that you mentioned there as well. Let's turn the page from the Braves offense to the Braves pitching staff, which is trying to piece things together. Three veteran arms come over at the trade deadline. Do you think the additions of Chris Martin and Shane Green and Mark Melanson will be enough to give the Atlanta staff what it needs to really close out this season, win the East, and do what they want to do come October? I think that they were smart moves. Um, you know, congratulations on those guys coming over and having to face the Twins, especially. Right. Um, but you know, I, I think it was a smart way to approach it. And you know, there's kind of two schools of thought when you go into the trade deadline. You have the 2016. Uh, era way of looking at things, and that would be Cleveland going out and getting Drew Miller, Chicago getting Barotas Chapman, and like that's your guy. Like that is your guy. Maybe multiple innings, but certainly the ninth, shutting things down. Now you have a team like Atlanta, and yeah, they could have poured a bunch of resources into a Felipe Vasquez and Edwin Diaz maybe mm-hmm. for New York, but instead, you know, especially with Atlanta, like they needed to cover multiple innings. And adding to that depth um, in this bullpen with three guys that are very good. I'm not going to act like uh, any of them are great. I'm not going to act like any of them didn't come with uh, clear 
you know, peripheral problems or, you know, obstacles or, you know, Shane Green last year was a sub-replacement reliever. Chris Martin wasn't in the majors a couple of years ago. But Lance is a very solid player, but he hasn't been his all-star form uh, really since he was in Pittsburgh. So I'm not going to act like any of these players are, you know, complete difference makers, even though Shane Green was an all-star, but it just adds to your depth. And for what they gave up, uh, I think that if you can get, you know, two months, and then, of course, you have Lanson and Green under contract for next year, but if you can get two months of just solid got, you know, solid relief uh, from those guys, I don't think you need them to be world beaters. Um, but this is almost just a slightly more aggressive way of going about the deadline as Atlanta did last year. You know, last year to give up international uh, bonus pool money for Johnny Venters, for Brad Brock. This year, it's, okay, we're going to give up, you know, some fringier prospects, good prospects, but fringier prospects, and we are going to address what we really need to have at this uh, down the stretch. I think they're good relievers. I think they add to the depth, but um, probably smart that they didn't just uh, overpay for just one guy. Yeah, I think that was certainly smart. And the other question, of course, becomes the other side of the pitching coin, which is a starting rotation. We saw Mike fulton come back from AAA Gwinnett and pitch a pretty good ball game against the Minnesota Twins. I think he got cooled off there in the sixth inning as he sat around for about half an hour as the Braves' offense was busy. But what did you make of Fulte's return start in Minnesota? Because it's easily the best he's looked this year. Atlanta did not trade for a starter, as we were just talking about. They went all relievers at the deadline. Can Mike fulton be the difference maker in this rotation, in your estimation? It definitely felt like a show-me start, too. I mean, throwing his slider career-high 47 times yeah. per stat cast, it was, you know, that was the pitch. That was the pitch that Alex Anthopoulos and everybody kept highlighting Rick Cranett saying it has to be the slider. The slider's the slider. If that's working, you know, he's 2018 faulty. And he throws it 47 times, um, 40% whiff rate on it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I have my, you know, questions about faulty because um, I think everybody should because we just haven't seen it over the course of this season. But I just went back yesterday and I think it's interesting to keep in mind that though it feels like Fulte has been out of the mix for the vast majority of the season. And it's like, how much time does he really have to be a game changer on this team uh, left in 2019 during the regular season? Last year, he had 11 August and September starts. He ranked 15th and more among qualified starters, a 2.55 ERA that really helped them you know, capture the East down the stretch and clearly set him up to be the game one starter in the NLDS. I don't know if Fulte has that in him yet again, but he has an opportunity to not only solidify this rotation in the regular season, but pitch his way back into the playoff conversation. And whether that is getting a start, whether that is just having, you know, what we all know can be a special arm uh, working in long, long relief and the bullpen in some way, shape, or form it just adds another really good arm to this mix. Um, I I don't know if he can be that guy again this season, just given, you know, he had a bit of an injury hiccup, and I think that definitely put a scare into him, and the numbers weren't there. But if he can get back anywhere close to 2018 Fulte, um, this team has to feel really good about its chances at hanging on this, to this division lead and really uh, capturing its second straight in at least crown. That's a great stat, too. I mean, I figured he would get somewhere between 8 and 10 starts if he was healthy and giving the Braves a good enough chance every fifth day. And like you said, he has to go out there and show it. In the minor leagues, he made six starts following his demotion. 
He had a sub-3 ERA. He did not allow a home run. He wasn't walking guys. And those last three starts especially, you really started hearing the positive reviews and reports on that slider. And as you mentioned, if you're going to throw a pitch almost 50% of the time, I would say you're feeling a lot more um, comfortable with it. And hearing from Fulte a little bit earlier this week and earlier in this show, he talked about pitching with conviction and really throwing that pitch and believing it's where it needs to be. And in addition to maybe worrying a little bit about the elbow, maybe not really knowing and feeling confident in that pitch caused him to get away from it a little bit. And you can't be a two-pitch pitcher in the big leagues as a starting pitcher. At least not too many guys I can think of can. And I think that's one of the reasons we saw Kevin Gosman end up a Cincinnati Red not too long ago. Was that a move that you were surprised with, Kevin Gosman just being put out on waivers, claimed by the Reds and the Braves, not even giving him that cursory look as a reliever? I think anybody that was logged onto the internet when that move came through was a bit taken aback. Like, oh man, this is a, I didn't see that coming, you know, entering the season. Um, but as Anthopolis said on the conference call, you know, this is performance based. Um, I think it's a good move for Cincinnati to take on whatever the rest of his $9 million contract is uh, prorated out for this season. He's up in control next year. Um, it's probably a good move for Cincinnati, but for Atlanta, uh, it was, you know, they had to find a way to solidify the back end of this uh, rotation. And in their mind, what Fulci was doing, as you just mentioned, especially there in his final three starts in AAA Gwinnett, if they felt Fulci was right, and if somebody was willing to take on the money uh, for Kevin Gossman, I think it probably was the best move for this organization. It does throw, uh, you know, a wrench into when you look past 2019, you know, what does this rotation look like? Clearly they have, options galore and i think it's a pretty good market for pitchers but yeah i mean it, it took me by surprise that it's not like the trade package they gave up to baltimore was a game changer for baltimore and it wasn't like it should ever get in the way of you know trying to put your best 25 out there but it certainly um this was a guy that came over last year the 2018 trade deadline and helps you win a division title and i personally thought that Boston ran into a ton of bad luck early on the season before yeah. uh, the the Arsenal really started to diminish. Um, but you know they have to put their best five starters out there. Uh, they felt like Fulte was that guy, and you know based on one start from Mike Fultonevich, um, I think I think they made the right call. I mean it's kind of hard to argue that Fulte against a, a Twins lineup that's arguably you know easily a top five lineup, maybe a top three lineup in baseball. Fulte gave him a better start than Gosman has since that pivotal start against Washington. And Fulte looked better in that start than Gosman has in quite some time. So, and that's against Minnesota. Now, Fulte has to face Los Angeles, uh, or at least he's in line to face the, that Dodgers lineup. But he's not really going to face another team other than Los Angeles for the rest of the season that's nearly as good as Minnesota. So if he can be that good against Minnesota, uh, I think they're on to something here with uh, with Fulte and going that route. Um, certainly surprising, not if you and I got in a time machine and went back to preseason. I don't think either of us saw Kevin Gosman off on waivers. But, um, you know, they have too much pitching. They have too much, uh, too many starting pitching options in their uh, organization to to let a guy, you know, watch his arsenal diminish and keep throwing him out there every five days. Yeah, and I'm sure they don't mind recouping about $3 million and not having to worry about that 40-man decision as well in the offseason because the Braves will have a lot of intrigue as far as that is concerned. And uh, as you brought up as well, for Mike Fultonevich, that start against the Dodgers, we talk about a show-me start, that could almost be an audition, if you will, to be on the postseason rotation. If everything else goes well enough, 
and you show out against the Dodgers, I would have to think that you'd feel a lot better, and Mike Fultonevich might feel a lot better about where his season is going trajectory-wise going forward because he can't do anything about what's happened up to this point. But from this point forward, Mike Fultonevich, with that slider and with the confidence that it seemed to give him in being able to throw it in pretty much in any count at any time, he'd have to feel pretty good about what he can do and what impact he could make on the Braves, and that would be a huge boost to the Atlanta rotation. He's Zach Dillard of Fox Sports South. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Zach underscore Dillard and all the things that the Fox Sports South crew is doing on social media. You can find him on Twitter at Fox Sports Braves. It's an absolute must-follow if you're a Braves fan. Zach, appreciate it, and I'll talk to you again soon. Anytime, man. Do this again soon. I'll see you. All right, let's take a look at what's coming up for the Braves. Of course, they'll finish off a four-game series this weekend in Miami against the Marlins, looking to take another series before returning home to SunTrust Park. There'll be an off day on Monday, then a big stretch at their home ballpark, which begins with three games against the suddenly surging New York Mets who have been on fire over the last couple of weeks. Of course, it's come at the expense of some of the worst teams in baseball, but the Mets have managed to climb from about 10 games under 500 to over 500 as we sit here recording this podcast on a Friday morning. Meanwhile, the Dodgers will follow the Mets into town, and we know the implications there. The Braves would like to meet the Dodgers again in the postseason, and they'd be lined up to do so if both those teams advance to the National League Championship Series. This could be a little bit of a preview of that, so we'll see how the Braves and Dodgers match up on this coast as opposed to that trip out west where the Braves did not have any luck at Chavez Ravine. After the Dodgers, it'll be the Marlins again. They'll come to SunTrust Park and close out that nine-game homestand as the Braves will look to take advantage of some home cooking after a road trip that began with taking two out of three from the Twins and includes another stop against Miami, a club that the Braves have simply had their number all season long. We'll see how they wrap that up and how they get that homestand started because these are the games as you go down the stretch here, especially if we start talking about the divisional matchups that September holds, it's going to get pretty interesting pretty quick to see where the NL East goes and if the Braves are able to hold on to that and hold off not just the Nationals, the Phillies, but also it would appear, at least for now, the New York Mets are trying to insert themselves in that conversation, so we'll see how it plays out. As always, I invite you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Ratings and reviews always appreciated, and be sure to follow along on social media, on Twitter, at FromTheDiamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. On Instagram, you can find the show at FromTheDiamond, no underscore there. And I am at Grant McCauley on Instagram as well. And you can find everything at FromTheDiamond.com, including every episode of the show. That'll do it for this edition. Again, thanks to Zach Dillard of Fox Sports South for carving out some time. And thank you very much for tuning in to From the Diamond this week. And I look forward to catching you again on the next episode. Until then, so long, everyone.